Good morning to each one of you. Greetings in Jesus' name. Our risen Lord, our risen Savior, and we have so much to be thankful for because of what Christ did for us. Now many of you all know that I enjoy history. I enjoy the, the historical aspect of the Old Testament and how God made things unfold. And then in the New Testament, we see the new covenant coming through Jesus Christ and then the fulfillment of that in Him rising again from the dead. And wow, what an opportunity each one of us have uh, today, especially today, because every day is an opportunity for us to serve God one more time. And today is, is your opportunity. I want you to turn with me, if you will, back to Genesis. Again, I, I really enjoy the creation story and how it begins and then how it unfolds later on. And the title of the message this morning is The Blood of the Lamb. And I want you to stick with me because as we start here in the beginning, we're not going to be specifically talking about the blood, but we're going to be specifically, we're going to be looking at a type for just a little bit. But in Genesis chapter 3, we saw earlier on, first couple chapters, about the Garden of Eden, how Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. And we knew that because we know that because of that disobedience, this perfect world that God had made just shattered. And it says in verse 7, it says, And the eyes of them both were opened after they had chosen to, to disobey God. It says, And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Well, have you ever thought about how mankind often tries to patch up the mistakes that he's made by covering it up with something? And I never really thought about that until I studied a little bit more. But you know, when Adam and Eve sinned and they both realized that they were naked, then they tried to do something about it to cover it up. They saw their nakedness. And it says they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. The word in Hebrew for apron means a belt around the waist. And it means to put on but it also means to be afraid. Never thought about that. So man, Adam and Eve, tried to make a provision to cover their nakedness with their own mind, their own feeble attempt to cover their shame, their sin. And as we see throughout history of mankind, man has typically tried to cover their shame, their nakedness, their whatever up with something. This was Adam and Eve's initial attempt. But it took the wisdom of God, it took a direct intervention by Him to actually properly cover them because the, the, the apron was not good enough. God had to directly intervene to cover their problem. God wanted fellowship with them and in way to dis and, and for a way for that way to come back together 
there had to be a covering, but there also had to be a shedding of blood. And it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. And this word clothed means to wrap around, to put on a garment, to clothe, to put into, under apparel. But up until this point, as we see this perfect creation shattered by mankind, there was no fear between man and animal. That didn't happen until after the flood. But up until this point, also there was no death. But this coat of skin had to come from somewhere. And where did it come from? Adam initially had named all the animals, and apparently as they came to him, he named them, and it seems like in this environment before the sin, that it was this perfect environment where there may have been a little closer fellowship. You know, we can develop a relationship with some animals that are close to us. You know, we have dogs, we have cats. Sometimes we have pets that we can actually tame and we can have a relationship with them. I can imagine, and I don't know this for a fact, I saw this in, at the uh, Creation Museum many years ago, or several years ago when we visited that. But it was an altar, and on that altar was a sacrifice of a lamb. And I don't know what kind of animal God used to clothe these people. But I would, I guess in my thoughts, it was probably a sacrificial lamb. And I don't know that for a fact. I'm just thinking outside of the box just a little bit. But we read in the Old Testament, there are many types and shadows of what was to come and what is to come in the future. And God has given us some very real and understandable instructions. In the Old Covenant, an offering was to be made. And we saw when those two young men of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, were to bring a proper sacrifice. One brought the fruits of the land. One brought the fruits of the livestock, and they were offered. But it says in Leviticus, it says, Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say unto them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock of the herd and of the flock. And it says in verse 10, it says, And if his offering is of the flock of the sheep or of the goats as a burnt offering, he shall bring a male without blemish. Without blemish. And if we reflect back to the Garden of Eden and that initial sacrifice that had to be made, the initial shedding of blood to cover, to gain those coats of skin, there had to be a shedding of blood to get that animal skin. And so there had to be a sacrifice to cover. And we see in Leviticus that it was to be one, the, the one that was to be picked was to be a male without blemish. In verse 11 it says, And he shall kill it on the north side of the altar 
before the Lord and the priests, and Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar, and he shall cut it in pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is upon the fire of the altar, but he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. And it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire. And it says there at the very last part of that verse, it says it is a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, for, for my feeble mind, I don't understand how all this works with God. But God commanded it. He asked and told them, this is what you are supposed to do. This is what I want you to do. And it says that it will be a sweet aroma to the Lord. This animal was to be slain. The blood was to be sprinkled. The parts were supposed to be cut and arranged just so. And it was to be a sweet aroma to God. Why did God need this shed blood? What was the purpose of the offering and the fat and the blood? Well, it says on over in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10, it says, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my foot against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from among his people. For the life, and I want you to catch this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. The blood of the Lamb. To make atonement for your soul. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. This word atonement means to cover It means to cancel out. It means to appease. It evokes forgiveness and mercy and pacifying. It also evokes pardon and reconciliation. And I want us to think about that. In the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned and God had to make that sacrifice, that shed blood that coats of skin to cover their nakedness was there as an atonement to reconcile this offering of an animal, the shedding of the blood for the purpose of making atonement for man's sin was needed to restore fellowship. But this animal sacrifice, this blood that was shed was an atonement for man's sin, sin was needed and needed. It was only a temporary happening. In other words, it covered for a period of time, but it was not a washing away. It had to be done again and again and again and again. And I don't know what you think about, but if I th- as I think about the Passover of all of those years, and all of the sacrifices that had to be made since the beginning of mankind until Jesus came, there were thousands, millions, billions of sacrifices made to cover man's sin, to try to reconcile mankind to God. 
to restore that fellowship. And can you imagine this morning how it would actually be if you were to bring that unblemished lamb that had spent time, that you had spent time raising and nurturing and actually being a part of your family to bring it today to sacrifice that lamb so that your sin could be made atoned. So that, so that you could be atoned or reconciled with God for a period of time. But the children of Israel did it for thousands of years. But then in the New Testament, turn with me if you will to John 1. And this is the good news of the gospel. It says in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus there in the very beginning, creating Adam and Eve, seeing them sin, offering, helping to offer that sacrifice and clothe them. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And if we skip down to verse 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And it says there in the beginning was the Word, that Jesus was there. John was born a man not born of God. Jesus was born of God through Mary. It says, And of this fullness have all we received and grace for grace, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John the Baptist came preaching a message of repentance, and he introduced Jesus the perfect Lamb of God. In Hebrews 1, I'm sorry, in John 1.29 it says, And the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he said, Attention people, look at this. He said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This was foreshadowed many years before. It was spoken of that John would come as one crying in the wilderness. It was talked about that the Messiah would come and He would make things right between man and God. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God. And we read over in Hebrews, it says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, Jesus, whom He hath appointed heir of all things. By also He made the worlds, who being in the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sin, the shedding of His blood, it purged our sin, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus, that perfect Lamb of God, and we reflect again back to that initial sacrifice for the covering, for the shedding of blood, 
for the covering of that sin, that atonement that needed to be made to reconcile man to God. And then Jesus coming as that perfect Lamb of God. It also says in Hebrews 9, it says, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, reflecting back to the Old Testament of the many sacrifices that needed to be made, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but this is something that we need to remember. It says, but by His own blood, He entered in once unto the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That is, that is a verse that I think all of us need to tuck away in our brains. It says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered into that holy place, that holy of holies where the high priest could only go one time a year, where he had to make special preparation to enter into that holy place to make atonement for the children of Israel. But it says, having obtained eternal redemption for us, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth unto the purifying of the flesh. Verse 14 is another one that we really need to remember. It says, How much more shall the blood of our Savior, how, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to the God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You remember when Lazarus came to Jesus? Was it Lazarus? Got to thank you just a minute. Nicodemus, I'm sorry. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And what did Jesus tell him? It said, he said in verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except... A man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Jesus was explaining to him that it had to be a new happening, a spiritual happening in one's life to be born again. And it says how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve a living God. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, entered into the Holy of Holies once to make atonement for our sin. The most holy place when they were building the tabernacle, God instructed Moses how to build this tabernacle. It was a very special place where God would actually come and physically dwell with His people. It was the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant 
was supposed to be placed. This most holy place was 15 feet square, and it symbolized God's dwelling place in heaven. It talked about Revelation, a city four square, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. This most holy place was a place where the priests would come daily to make their sacrifices, replenish the oil, and burn the incense. It was a daily routine. However, the Day of Atonement, Yom, Yom Kippur, was, is celebrated in the fall. And it was a special occasion where the high priest would enter into the most holy place to make this offering once per year for the sins of the people. And it was separated by a veil. And we know of the curtain, this large curtain that was made. This veil originally was 10 by 10 cubits, which is 15 by 15. The Scriptures don't say how thick it was. And when Solomon built the first temple, the holy place, the most holy place was separated by a veil that had been increased in size to 40 feet high. When Herod rebuilt the temple, the veil was 60 feet high. And early Jewish writers and historians say that the veil was so big, it was so thick, four inches thick, that it took 300 priests to be able to clean that veil. Why was the veil there? It was to protect people from viewing God from seeing into the most holy place. This veil signified the separation between God and man. And we know through Scripture teaching, we know that when Jesus was crucified, there were many things that happened. Darkness came, an earthquake, and it says the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. There is no way that any person or persons or any large machines that or any machines that they would have had at that time could have split this veil down the middle. But it says that this veil was rent from the top to the bottom. And it opened the way to the Holy of Holies, to God, our Holy God, through Jesus Christ You know, I don't understand all of the prophecy that is fulfilled or will be fulfilled. But I do understand one thing. And that one key thing is that Christ came as a baby in a manger. He lived a life. He ministered to people. He was crucified and laid in a tomb. And today we commemorate Him rising again as victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And we can trust in that. And we also know that Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. In Revelation 5 it says, And I saw in the right hand of Him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside on the back, sealed with seven seals, then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven 
or in earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and to read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders elders said unto me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. Stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And it said, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign in the earth. People today, we celebrate our risen Lord. We celebrate that we can have resurrection power through the Holy Spirit, through His Word. The price, folks, of our redemption has been paid in full. It is no longer just a covering, but it is a washing away of our sins. The perfect Lamb of God came and shed His blood once for all that our sins can be forgiven. And we have the opportunity today to remember that. We have that opportunity today to invite Christ into our lives, to be cleansed, and our sins to be completely washed away. And we have an opportunity to be gathered together today, worshiping our risen Lord and preparing to meet Him who is now at the right hand of our Heavenly Father. And so today, as we think about Jesus Christ lying in that tomb and then then coming... Those, those disciples, those women coming to look at that tomb and Him not being there anymore. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for our redemption, for the glory of God, for the salvation of mankind. May we embrace that today as we have opportunity. God bless you.